Lodged in our Bill of Rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions, to think your own thoughts, and to say what's on your mind. We couldn't have liberty without it. Now, more than ever, it's good to spout off, to listen, debate, and participate. Here's your host of Spouting Off, commentator, columnist, and all-around rabble-rouser, Karen Cataline. everyone to Friday. It is a pretty good news Friday. And of course, it's always good uh, to make it to the end of the week. We are hot in the middle of the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, the new year, much to look forward to and much to be concerned about. Karen Cataline with you. If you'd like to uh, call in. I just posted this on our Facebook, on the Facebook page, on my personal Facebook page. I don't get much time to do that with the live feed, but I just posted the live feed there. If you'd like to call in with anything on your mind or what I'm about to talk about, 603-816-1590. We love your input either via email or live um, I get emails. Yes, I do from listeners. And um, uh, we are happy and thrilled to know that you're out there and listening. Uh, so I am a fan of Good News Friday and some of the things that go on in Friday, including that go on Friday, including Catherine Austin Fitz's um, idea. She was pushing it cash Friday, cash Friday, very, very important to use cash, to support cash, to keep cash alive because it is an anonymous, um, ability of free individuals engaging in commerce without being, uh, managed, surveilled, tracked, uh, bullied, intimidated, told what we can and cannot do or buy or where we can go. We are in a very strong environment of both uh, threats to our freedom, to our personal liberty, you know, that thing that the radical left used to say they were for, but now they've rolled over in a very big way because their betters told them, this is better. It is better now that we've uh, uh, lectured you for decades about being compassionate and tolerant. We're going to guide you in the art of hate, bigotry, and discontent. They're never happy. They have no sense of humor. And you're always going to be uh, uh, have uh, uh, issues and hostile and feel like you've been uh, offended by somebody so that we can use you for our political game. But we're not going to put up with that. <laughs> we're just not. And one of the places that I love to go, if you've listened to me before, you know, is this wonderful site. If I can pull it up here, give me a moment. All right. It's called um, Defending the Republic dot substack dot com. So, uh, Sydney Powell runs it, but I think her people run it. And every Friday they put out good news Friday. And I love coming in here to talk about it, especially when there are some very, very significant things. I will give you a few of these and then, uh, some of my own commentary about the significance of it. So, uh, Senator Ron Johnson has put together a panel on the COVID vaccines and, uh, Ron Johnson held a panel on COVID-19 vaccines in Washington on December 7th, just a couple of days ago, featuring experts, uh, which, uh, both of whom have been, uh, censored and punished and threatened with their licenses by non-doctors who want them to roll over and play dead and uh, ignore other people being dead. Uh, there's so much information that has been censored. 
Uh, doctors like Robert Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough discussed vaccine development, composition, data from insurance companies, adverse event systems, and a lot of other topics. Uh, this is very important because there is a move and we're always complaining about the mealy-mouthedness, is that a word, of Republicans who don't really want to uh, uh, stand up and fight or uh, pose any opposition to the radical left because they're either, well, stupid, crazy, or evil, any, any combination thereof, or they've been bought and paid for. But uh, right now, there's a move to remove any vaccine mandates from uh, the military, at least as it relates to COVID, COVID. And you know we're racing against time because they're about to use COVID again. Doesn't matter how much information comes out, they're about to use it again to shut people down, to advance their Marxist agenda. That's what they did before. Hopefully, more and more people see through it. But the problem is when you're not held accountable for your crimes, you end up going and committing more of them. Uh, insurance experts record jump in excess mortality. Second issue, Edward Dow. This is not good news, but it is coming out as part of the COVID panels. Edward Dow, a former BlackRock analyst. We know a little bit about that. Now with the Humanity Project showed data from the Society of Actuaries showing a jump in excess mortality among young and middle-aged adults starting around the time the vaccines uh, were being administered. Now, you know, even a hint of that with an ethical administration, they would halt any further, not just mandates, but they'd take it off the shelf, make it unavailable to people, as in the Tylenol scare, until we had greater information we knew what was going on. If you've watched, you know that at every corner and probably at your local grocery store, you can run in there and get a COVID vaccine. Now you can get one for a six-month-old baby even though babies and young children are virtually not at any risk from COVID. So what's the motive? What's the purpose? What's the end game in filling babies and children with these vaccines that have uh, frighteningly deadly uh, uh, suspicions? And that's all I can call them at this time because I'm not a doctor. But if you aren't worried and suspicious, given the credibility of the people that are pushing this kind of thing, you're just not paying attention. All right. And to that end, we have the CCP rare, here's a rare back down by the CCP after those massive citizen protests. We never thought that citizen protests could actually do anything in a communist country. Well, uh, they do, and we should be encouraged because we're headed exactly in that direction. Uh, if you heard Juan Goud last week talk about a film in which it's called, uh, just go to ramtv. No, ram.tv. Uh, I will post it on my website. I'm sorry, I don't know it by heart. Uh, a film that uh, Ram TV, which is one of our sponsors, got hold of from Epic Times talking about this connection between people who have sold out this country, American citizens, to the CCP. Uh, we have seen that pushback not only works, but it is essential uh, because the alternative is simply to let people get away with it. Organized and mass pushback works extremely well. So uh, the CCP has loosened up on some of its insane restrictions, causing people some to, to <laughs> they already don't have freedom there, but this zero tolerance, all we can do is marvel at the level of tyranny that men impose on one another and the lack of regard for human life. Uh, and that is an aspect of communism 
every time and twice on Sunday. Let's make an effort not to fall for the tricks uh, that we see and hear in the media because um, here's what I wanted to say. Why do you think they want all across the country for almost going on three years now, they encourage social distancing and alienating us from each other. All that dissension helps advance the communist Marxist globalist cause. It helps their cause, hastens tyranny, because we know that any kind of organized dissent, any kind of comparing notes of people who are oppressed uh, uh, does make a difference. It's, it's really something to celebrate, to see that uh, China has been, has dropped and officials were ordered to discontinue frequent arbitrary lockdowns. The order told officials to more scientifically and accurately demarcate risk zones. It's still an unbelievable amount of control given what Americans used to be used to. Uh, but we're going in exactly that direction because America and its founding has always stood in the way of communism, tyranny, Marxism, authoritarianism, tyrannical government. That's what uh, America has been based on and founded upon. That's what we're looking down the road to in America and has been brazenly started to be implemented here. Uh, and to that end, another one, parents pushing back and getting some results from the Biden regime. The Biden administration is <laughs> disbanding its newly formed National Parents Council after several advocacy groups accused it of violating federal law. Who's surprised that the people in power right now are being accused of violating federal law? Well, this parent group didn't allow themselves to back down because they were called, quote, domestic terrorists. No, uh, the, they were hit, the Biden administration hit with a lawsuit by these parental groups. That's what you have to do, ladies and gentlemen. Plaintiffs, parents, defending education. And so pushback works. Organized pushback works even better. Boy, I only uh, touched the surface of this issue, especially with all that's going on with Twitter. But we got to take a break. When we get back, we'll have a famous name from the past who will join us live here on Spouting Off. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. Every MyPillow is made with passion here in my home state of Minnesota to ensure you get the best sleep of your life. One of the things that I really like about MyPillow is the support. It gives my neck a little hug. I've never slept better in my life. What's better than a great night's sleep? Call or go online to take advantage of my best offer ever. For a limited time, when you use your promo code, you can get premium MyPillows regularly $69.98, now only $29.98. With our 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Sleep well, America! Call 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM, R-A-M. That's 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Not too long ago, it felt good to withdraw your cash from the bank, didn't it? For a vacation or a new car. But today, withdrawing your own cash has become risky. Pat Boone here for Swiss America. According to the Secret War, a Swiss America white paper, I learned that all banks are now required to spy on you and me for the government and then report any financial behavior deemed suspicious or unusual. You must read The Secret War. It's free. Thanks, Pat. Call now, toll free, 866-883-2741. That's 866-883-2741. Truth is, I believe the government's new war against cash is really a war against us all. But the secret? 
is now out. So please, get and read The Secret War. Call now, toll-free, 866-8832-741. That's 866-8832-741. Spouting Off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities. He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Sign up for Karen's newsletter and read her columns at karencataline.com. Now back to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off on a Friday, and we're, we're uh, quickly moving towards Christmas and New Year's. You know, these uh, weeks in December, they go very, very fast. Well, let me jump ahead here. Uh, It is always a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to somebody who is, I hope he won't be offended uh, by calling him a blast from the past. He's still a young man, but he was a wunderkind, as I remember during the Reagan administration. I wasn't all that old, but huh, neither was he. Uh, the name is David Stockman, uh, the ultimate Washington insider turned iconoclast. I love iconoclast. He began his career in Washington as a young man, quickly rose through the ranks in the Republican Party to become the director of the Office of Management and Budget under Ronald Reagan. And he is one of the people who coined that phrase, Voodoo economics. David Stockman uh, joins us here on Spouting Off. Hi, Mr. Stockman. Good of you to join us. Happy to be with you. And it doesn't seem like 40 years has passed since then, but it has. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't. Uh, But it's relevant to uh, the present moment and especially what I'm talking about in my book, The Great Money Bubble, because... um, the first thing that we had to confront in January 1981, when Ronald Reagan was sworn in, and you know he had run on a platform of shrinking government and uh, putting a cap on the national debt or even shrinking it, was that we had a $930 billion national debt, and he was going to be forced uh, within a short period of time to raise it over the, trillion, the dreaded trillion-dollar mark. Well, I mention all this because today the public debt is $31 trillion. In other words, uh, in that period of time that uh, kind of flew by, uh, Washington bar- spent and borrowed so much money that our public debt is 31 times higher. But more importantly, back then it was about 40% of uh, our national income that we have to, to support it and service it. Today it's 126%. So we have been going in the wrong direction Uh, for four decades, and um, uh, it's going to be hard to turn around the ship of state. Well, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about the past because I've got you here, and it's so much fun. I was a political newbie back then. Maybe I still am. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, that time, the early 80s, seemed idyllic and innocent compared to what we are watching today when there is a reckless disregard not only for the taxpayer, but for the financial well-being of the country. It, uh, um, uh, talk about the contrast of those two, or is there really yeah. a contrast? Uh, the contrast could not be more dramatic uh, or stark. 
because back then uh, politicians weren't any more saintly than they are today, but they did have a goodly fear of spending and borrowing too much and pushing uh, the debt so high that it adversely affected the bond market, uh, drove up interest rates, uh, crowded out private uh, mortgage borrowers and business uh, borrowers on Main Street. So there was a um, you know decent regard for fiscal uh, accountability and responsibility. Now, there were huge debates about the steps to get there and whether something helped the cause or made it worse, but it was... Um, you know, something that was bipartisan. The Democrats even professed to be <laughs> concerned about a $1 yeah. trillion debt. Now, today, the reason I'm mentioning all this is today neither party cares, okay? Uh, you have basically um, a bipartisan, uh, bipartisan consensus in favor of just let it drift, uh, and so far we've gotten away with it. So uh, let's uh, roll the dice and see if we can... Uh, continue down this path. Now, what has changed between then and now? It's not that politicians have become cowardly and, um, you know, more irresponsible today than they were then. What has changed is the Federal Reserve. In 1981, Paul Volcker was chairman of the Fed. He was not about to print the money in order to fund the debt. He wasn't going to buy all the securities that were being issued by the U.S. Treasury, and so therefore they had a direct impact on the uh, bond market, on yields, interest rates, and the public at large, and you had a uh, sort of built-in accountability, uh, built-in uh, discipline. Today, after that, you know, there were $200 billion on the balance sheet then. There's $9 trillion on the Fed's balance sheet today. Uh, since the 80s, they have been basically printing so much money that they've made it easy for Congress to build, uh, to, you know, push up the na uh, national debt, to borrow, to run massive, you know, one, two, three trillion dollar annual deficits and make it seem like uh, no harm is being done because interest rates until the uh, last few months have been ultra low owing to the Fed uh, monetizing the debt, as we call it, as a technical matter. But really, it's just buying the bonds and stuffing them in their balance sheet uh, with money uh, made out of thin air. That's, that's what's changed dramatically. And what's now uh, new in this picture is that finally in March uh, of this year, 2022, <laughs> it finally said, oh, we got inflation running 6 7 8% year over year. Uh, it's going to get out of control. We better reverse course. They started raising interest rates for the first time in decades, really, in a serious way. They're up 400 basis points uh, just since March, and there's a long way yet to go because they barely made a dent in inflation. So the net of everything I'm saying here is they've unleashed an inflationary monster, not just in the grocery store and at the gas station, but in the financial markets, in uh, the, the debt world. Uh, overall uh, financially in our economy. They've belatedly recognized the damage that was done. They're attempting to reverse course, and it's going to be um, create a uh, you know pretty dire economic uh, correction uh, going forward for the next several years. We're in a new ball game. The party's over, uh, and uh, you know the morning after, so to speak, is now upon us. Uh, we're talking to David Stockman. You can find his book and his website at davidstockmanscontracorner.com, davidstockmanscontracorner.com, and you can look there at his book and many of his articles. Mr. Stockman, I, you know, I'm not at all financial or mathematical. I'm, you know, like most lay people, and I look at the economy and everything, and, and what I see as a difference, and I would love to get your thoughts, is that I do not see, since, since spending a fortune means power and more government-centralized control in this country, money equals power, and then, of course, the money that they borrow, they give to their political cronies, um, against the backdrop 
of a growing uh, regard for Marxism, totalitarianism, control of the citizenry, it seems to me that this is deliberate on their part. Uh, where am I wrong? I don't, I don't think you're wrong in describing the outcome. It is really difficult when you're dealing with lots of people and diverse interests uh, to ascribe one specific motive. But I think what the Washington politicians, especially those on the Democrat side, but frankly, there's a lot of Me Too Republicans who come the oh, same yeah. way. What yes. they've discovered, especially during this whole COVID disaster, is that they could do untold damage to the private economy by shutting down, you know, practically the entire service sector of our economy uh, just uh, on a uh, whim, you know, by fiat without any constitutional authority to do it, and then attempt to buy out what should have been the tremendous political uproar uh, when people uh, couldn't go to restaurants or when uh, businessmen who had built up uh, a family restaurant over decades suddenly found themselves bankrupt. All of this happened. But they attempted to buy out the opposition, so to speak, with these massive, uh, you know, COVID relief uh, or bailout bills. And in 12 months, I mean, there's nothing like it in American history. Within 12 months, they passed three of these bills. Each one was roughly $2 trillion. They spent $6 trillion without any congressional hearings, without any analysis, None. without any regard Nothing. for how it was going to be yeah. financed and whether it would do any good or not or who would take advantage of it. And um, that was done within 12 months, and the Fed then turned around and printed most of the money needed to finance the debt. So what it did was unleash a fiscal-slash-monetary monster, and it's made the politicians even less sensitive uh, to uh, the needs of a private economy and letting the free market do its job of producing prosperity for the right. American well, people. Well, the free market is contrary to the kind of Marxism we are watching uh, being imposed upon the public. Are you familiar, Mr. Stockman, with the whole Cloward-Piven strategy that we've heard talked about. I happen to have gone to Columbia School of Social Work right around that time. And for oh, our yeah. listeners, Cloward-Piven is the strategy uh, by Marxists that the best way to bring about the end of capitalism and free markets is simply to spend the country into oblivion put everybody on the public dole until the economy collapses, and then they can very conveniently usher in the kind of communism that our country and our great-grandparents were fighting against. Your thoughts on that, Mr. Well, Stone. first of all, I remember it well. I was getting my start in life uh, as a graduate student in the late 60s when they were mm. writing all this, um, uh, and then in the 70s, when I worked on Capitol Hill and became a congressman, in fact, I wrote quite a few uh, screeds against it. I uh, wrote something about... God love you! It was called the social pork barrel, and I attacked their strategy mm. and pointed out that what the Democrats were doing since the Great uh, Society and the War on Poverty was simply mm. taking um, the you know, the playbook from rivers and harbors and dredging and uh, public works, and they moved it over to the social transfer payment uh, sector of the budget and then had expanded it enormously, whether it was effective or not, because it was a good way to buy votes. So, you know, I've been on the case of that for the last 40 or 50 years, and frankly, yeah. um, things continue to drift in the wrong direction. Well, we're, we're going in exactly that direction. I don't, you know, one of them is alive, one isn't. Piven is still alive. And they must be thrilled that uh, that strategy is being pretty much followed to a T. Since we have so little time, and what an honor and a pleasure it is to talk to you, David Stockman, why don't you take some time to talk about your book, why we need to read it, and what you want to leave us with, because we have precious little time sure. with you. Go for it. <laughs> okay, two, two points. One, the book is trying to put this in historical context. 
In other words, the inflation didn't just happen in the last three months or the last year. It didn't come out of the blue. It's been uh, basically brewing for 30 years as a result of bad policies in Washington, both on Capitol Hill and also at the Federal Reserve. And so I go through the fact that it isn't just inflation at the grocery store, but it's inflation of debt. You know, back when Greenspan started this thing, there was $10 trillion of debt on the economy, public and private. There's $91 trillion today. It's a totally different world, and it means it's going to be very hard to get inflation under control and get the economy growing again. Um, um, David, so, you, you, uh, because we have so little time, and I'm so sorry, yeah. your book's cover says protect yourself. And so is there one bit of advice you can give us and then tell everybody they can find your book? Okay. Uh, you can find the book in any bookstore, I think, and uh, in Amazon, obviously. Uh, the point is uh, stay out of the casino. That's point one. The stock market, the bond market, they're all way overvalued. If you've been fortunate enough to make a good return on some of the high flyers in tech, now's the time to cash out, sell them, and use the cash to pay down your debt. Second, this isn't going to be a short-lived uh, crisis that we go through. It's going to take years to correct this mess, and therefore people need to basically spend less and save more and hunker down for the storm that's going to continue for a long time to come. Third, yeah. uh, accumulate some gold because it's the only real money left, uh, given what the central banks uh, have done. And fourth, uh, protect uh, even your short-term liquid money uh, by buying something like tips, which are tr you know inflation-protected treasuries, one, two-year duration, that pay you back 100% of anything you lost to inflation during the holding period, plus a little bit of return on top. Now, that's not like what we've been used to, where people thought they could double their money in two years or find a home run in the tech sector. None of that's going to happen going forward. Uh, we're in a new ball game, and things like the inflation-protected uh, Treasury securities are going to be a good way to preserve your wealth as this storm unfolds and make a bit of a return in the process. Wow, that is some great advice. Uh, and the name of the book is Great, The Great Money Bubble by David Stockman. You can visit him at David Stockman, uh, David Stockman's contracorner.com. Uh, that about does it. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. A real blast from the past, but still a young man, David Stockman. You had an impact, sir. You most certainly did. Okay, Thanks well, for thank joining you us. so much. Uh, <laughs> enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I did too. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to take a, bit, a quick break, and when we come back, we will have uh, another guest tell you about him right after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Gadoline. I was asking God through prayer, seeking a good news source. I believe he showed me the Epic Times. I delivered the mail and came across an issue. The front page intrigued me and I subscribed. Now I cut out articles and give them to friends and family. I leave old issues at the library and around my community. We read it to our kids and love the positive messages in each article. So why do I think everyone should read the Epic Times? Because they're bringing back traditional values to this great country. Are you tired of the same old snacks? Looking for something a little healthier than that bag of chips or candy bar? Even your average bag of trail mix these days is little more than peanuts, raisins, and candy-coated chocolate. Not very healthy, is it? Allow me to introduce you to White Mountain Munchies. Made from 100% all-natural ingredients, White Mountain Munchies combines unique flavors with nutritional value that will tingle your taste buds and strengthen and sustain your overall health and wellness. Eating good never tasted so good. From Maggie's Maple Madness to Hannah's Heavenly Harvest, Grayson's Getaway Goodies, and our limited edition Christmas blend, Jacoby's Jolly Jumble, White Mountain Munchies offers nutritious and delicious snacks that the whole family is sure to love. Pick yours up now through our easy-to-use online store at whitemountainmunchies.com. White Mountain Munchies, non-GMO when you're on the go. 
Spouting Off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. Hi, it's Karen Cataline. It's been almost a decade since I wrote Fat Lash Food Police in the Fear of Thin. It's about my early experiences in child beauty pageants and being put on extreme diets. Remember when that was shocking? Sadly, that seems like child's play compared to what we are watching today when politicians and woke corporations are actually advocating for the sexualization of children. Everyone's children. We're watching a frontal attack on childhood innocence. This is one story, my story. Fat Lash illustrates and explains why good boundaries are essential for kids to grow up healthy. They need their parents to set them, not the government. Get Fat Lash today. It's available in paperback or ebook at Amazon or at my website, KarenCataline.com. Karen Cataline puts the Judeo in Judeo Christian. Now back to Spouting Off. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off. Uh, yes, we have our guest. Isn't that nice? Every once in a while, we cut it very close, and I got to look into my notes to see what I'm going to be talking about. But I am glad that we have, we had to reschedule this guest and uh, it's good to have him. First off, um, uh, since we always have to go quickly at the end of an interview, please go to my website, karencataline.com and uh, write me, let me know what you'd like to see. Uh, And we will have even fewer guests sometimes when we have more callers, but I do get email and you can email me at Karen at KarenCataline.com. Moving right along, we now have author of The Money Confusion. Looks like we're really talking money uh, two thirds of this hour. How illiteracy about currencies and inflation sets the stage for the crypto revolution. He is the author of that book. His name is John Tamney. And what a a distinguished uh, career he's had. He's worked in uh, and been published in the Financial Times, Investors Business Daily, the Wall Street Journal, and the like. But if I read them all, I won't have time to talk to him. John Tamney, thank you for joining us here on Spouting Off. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, it is a pleasure. And usually I don't mention other guests, but we just had on David Stockman. So it was the luck of the draw that we're talking about money and inflation and how to protect yourself, uh, especially with uh, what seem like drunken sailors in Washington, D.C. What is it that you think people are confused about by the name of your book, The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution? Well, I think one of the sources of confusion is this notion that government spending causes inflation. Uh, let me be clear. I think government spending a horrid tax. I think it the ultimately the worst tax of all on economic growth. But it has nothing to do with inflation. Inflation is a devaluation of the currency, plain and simple. That's what it's always been. That's what it always will be. And it's a reminder that inflation is a choice. It's governments choosing to devalue their currencies. Um, and they've been doing that for thousands of years. And so to tie it to other things, as we're doing now, is to redefine it and can confuse a lot of people. Well, um, why first would, well, two questions. I got to ask them together so I don't forget. One is, wouldn't inflation, where your money buys less um, by by printing money, how is that not uh, uh Uh, causing inflation, but also why do governments want to devalue their currency? Why would they want to do that? Well, I think governments have historically devalued their currency because they want to lay off their debts on someone else. And by devaluing, they can lay off their debts on the people who earn whatever currency it is. In our case, when they devalue in the United States, we who earn dollars 
see our dollars exchangeable for less. Uh, the only challenge with that right now is if you look at the last two years, the dollar has risen against the euro, the pound, the yen, the won, the Canadian dollar. The dollar is dollar, strong. Yeah. Aussie dollar. Yeah. And you can, you can also point out that the dollar has risen against gold, which is the most objective indicator of inflation. The dollar's actually risen. So how does the layman person understand all that? Where do we even begin? Help us out here. Well, where do we begin? As I point out in the book, for the longest time, the dollar had a strict definition as one-thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold. And most currencies around the world were defined in terms of the dollar. And so this was non-inflationary policy, precisely because the gold is so stable when the dollar was defined in terms of it, you didn't have to worry about inflation. Uh, but since 1971, when President Nixon severed the dollar's link to gold, that was an explicit devaluation of the dollar. And we've seen currency trading skyrocket since then. And for obvious uh -huh. reasons, with money not trusted, now people are trading currencies that they never saw the need to trade before. And so, mm -hmm. again, devaluation is a choice. My only arg the argument I make, make in the book is that we just don't have a devaluation problem right now. Huh. Well, and how can you have, let's see, so you have a really combination of strange stuff. You have uh, a strong dollar, but high inflation, uh, relatively low unemployment, but uh, uh, it, economies, it, people don't have much faith in the economy. So uh, help us unpack that. Uh, how, how do we understand that? And furthermore, how does the everyday citizen uh, protect themselves from all of these forces outside their control? Well, the way I would do it is I would travel back in time uh, to March of 2020. Now, I'm thinking about, let's just do something basic. Why is it, when the 20th century began, cars were rarer than millionaires, and millionaires were incredibly rare. Uh, no one owned cars, and then Henry Ford made them affordable. Well, how did he do that? He made them affordable by, by recognizing the basic truth that if you divide up the creation of, of them among thousands of people, you can create exponentially more at prices that continue to decline. And so think about that in terms of what happened in March of 2020. Uh, the world economy is, a, is, a, is basically billions of workers around the world working together. Everything that we enjoy in the United States that's created, the clothes we wear, the computers we type on, everything is a consequence of global cooperation, only mm -hmm. for that to be eviscerated by politicians. And in eviscerating it, it naturally made production of all goods and services quite a bit more expensive. Now, what I want to be clear about is that's not inflation. That is the bitter fruits of command and control. And so politicians are loving that we're all saying that these higher prices are inflation. Oh, what a great thing for them. You see, it takes the blame off of them. It, it causes people to forget that they caused this. And so all I'm saying, what I'm saying in the book's concluding chapter, is stop giving politicians such a path. They did this. There's all sorts of reasons to blame the Fed and be mad at the Fed about all sorts of things, but this was a political decision to lock people into their homes and tell them they can't go to work or operate their businesses. Well, How it wasn't just a political so decision. It, as to give... Hmm? It was force. Um, this was, well, was a jump-the-shark moment that ushered in tyranny. I mean, they shut down economies. You can only conclude that they wanted to because they used COVID as an excuse to implement all these terrifying policies that America has always stood against. And so I'm glad we agree. And, and so all I'm saying is, why do we keep giving the political class a get-out-of-jail-free card. They caused this. Democrats and Republicans said that we cannot be trusted to go to work, to live our lives, to socialize, to operate our businesses. We need to be locked into our homes. This happened around the world. Of course prices are higher today. You can't produce goods and services cheaply 
when you're not interconnected in the way that workers around the world were. So why are we calling this inflation? But when we call well, it inflation, we give politicians okay. the ultimate Except gift. Except that, how can you ignore the trillions and trillions of dollars that uh, was spent during COVID in which we printed more money and devalued our well, we, buying we, power? That's just... Well, once again, for one, we didn't print the money. If if you can just print the money, then Haiti would have lots of government spending. We can only spend in so far as the markets trust the currency. And the simple truth is, in the last two years, look it up. You don't have to believe me. The dollar has risen against every foreign currency, risen against gold. And so historically, we called inflation a devaluation of the currency. Well, wouldn't it cause you to rethink that assertion of inflation when the dollar hasn't declined? And so we can change the subject into these other things, but all you're uh-huh. doing is giving politicians exactly what they want. They want you to forget what they did, but they rob you freedom. How would you hold them accountable? How would the ordinary citizen hold them accountable when uh, force was used find out to what, rob what, what people? Let me just finish my sentence. When force was used to literally rob them of their livelihood and their business. In Colorado, we saw this. People uh, were uh, arrested, threatened with arrest, taken their liquor licenses, and threatened under the guise of health, um, and their businesses were, were uh, destroyed, literally destroyed. Their life savings, their livelihood destroyed. So how... I mean, we all lived through it. We all watched it. What would you, how would you have the average citizen uh, uh, fight back against that or at least hold them accountable for that? Well, and I apologize for one, you for go him. to the ballot box. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> people on our side Sorry. don't like to hear it, but Donald Trump was the one who kept saying, we've got to extend the lockdowns. Sorry, but he said it. He was wrong, and he destroyed, he's not present today as a result of it. But you find out. I think that assertion can be uh, is is a matter of enormous, vast differences of opinion as to why he's not president today. I don't think that you can point to one thing and say that's the reason he's not president. Okay, okay, we may not want to go down that road. Let's talk (laughs) about we we could talk about other reasons, but the facts are he did this. The facts are that. No reasonable person would have ever taken away freedom, ever, as a response to a virus spreading. Yet he was part of it, and he was criticizing governors who were trying to give people their freedom back. And so whether or not that hurt him in the elections, okay, who knows? But Democrats did it in state after state after state and extended it long after the lockdowns. Oh, they did. And and so so what a tragedy that Donald Trump, for once in his life, didn't act like Donald Trump. He should have been if he'd had good advisor. And if if he'd listened to his internal self, he would have said, I'm going to travel to California every single day and ridicule that clown Gavin Newsom for doing something so inimical to health and the well-being of his people. And Donald Trump should have traveled around to every state in the United are States. Are you so angrier at Donald Trump than you are at Gavin Newsom and Jared Polis and I, I'm angry Whitmer at and all the really rest? Really what I'm saying is let's hold politicians accountable, Democrats and Republicans, global leaders. They did this. They responded to pathogens, which have been a part of life that are as old as humanity is, by taking away our freedom. That goods and services are more expensive today is a statement of the obvious. I'm merely making the point that no one else is willing to make, that this is not inflation. John Tamney uh, is joining us, and we still have a little bit more time. I am going to make a modest prediction that COVID will be used again after the holidays to take away people's freedom, to rob them of their ability to move freely in the world, to be told to wear slave masks. They will use it again, I promise you. What would you encourage people to do now? It worked uh, beautifully. Uh, you know. uh, I, would, I would say first, I would say for one, don't ever give away your freedom so cheaply ever again in your life. Never, ever, mm. ever do this. They can't, they can't arrest us all. Secondly, I'll just point out, you know, the rest of the world looks to us. I think something, a little something died in the hearts and minds of people around the world when they saw the Americans giving away so cheaply what so much of the rest of the world would give anything to have. 
And so uh-huh. just don't do it again. Don't be so foolish as to fall for the very people who gave us the DMV and the post office and the passport office to <laughs> believe that point, they have indeed. the answer to, to a virus spreading. Don't do it. Yeah. And I would, but, you know, beyond that, let's get back to the principles of this. Let's not let them off the hook. They did this. We wouldn't be talking about yeah. inflation today if not for the lockdowns. Yeah. Um, Let's use our last couple minutes. We only have about three to talk about the crypto revolution. We were kind of giving it short shrift here, but your book mentions that. So uh, in what way is all this connected to that? Well, the the way in which it's connected is that if you look at money, as long as government's been involved in money throughout the world over, over the millennia, they've had a tendency to devalue. And so I'm merely making the argument in the book that private money, or call it crypto, is bound to replace government money just because it's not very trustworthy. Throw in the fact that we're starting to see the carnage that I write about in the book. That's not bad for crypto. That's a good sign. That's a sign of a healthy market, kind of uh, sifting out the bad. We saw this with the Internet 20 years ago. Just about every Internet company died, but did that signal the end of the Internet? Quite the opposite. If you travel back in time 100 years ago, just about every automaker ever formed went bankrupt. But the, but the car like the Internet is a fact of life today. I predict in the book that we're going to see something similar, that private money is going to emerge from government's mismanagement of money as the, as the, as the better solution to it, that will gradually migrate toward mm-hmm. money that people can trust. Do you uh, uh, expect these growing little baby doc dictators to shut down the use of money? Uh, to you know, we've we don't have the time to talk about the <laughs> attack on cash, so that there's means of surveilling people. But uh, if crypto is the threat to the government bureaucrats that you say it is, they're going to do whatever they can to shut it down, aren't they? Uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. I, I, they can't shut down what they don't understand. And I think it's going to be kind of like Uber. You know, all of a sudden Uber, this little app on a phone, <laughs> yeah. uh, basically yeah. mocked government taxi cartels around the world. I think we're going to see it from young people most of all. They uh. will start transacting with this pr- these private forms of money. And before you know it, you'll start doing it. It's just going to slowly move up. It's got I'll figure it out because I can't quite yeah. figure it out now. The young people are going to teach us. And yeah. soon enough, people are we going gotta to... we got to leave be- it there. I am so sorry to interrupt you. John Tamney, author of The Money Confusion, How Illiteracy About Currencies and Inflation Sets the Stage for the Crypto Revolution. John Tamney, thank you so much for joining us. Always Thanks a pleasure to have you on the program. Well, that does it for this week of shows here on Spouting Off WSMN and various other stations. Uh, tune in next week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, when there will be so much to spout off about here on Spouting Off.